please read along with me in your bulletin our scripture for today. It comes from the book of Proverbs. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born from adversity. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he he have his fill of you and hate you. Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I am only joking. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. Iron sharpens iron, and a man sharpens another, and one man sharpens another. Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. This is God's word. Amen. Thank you, Amber. Uh, Good morning. My name is Drew Bennett. I'm one of the pastors here at Church of the Redeemer. We are this fall in the middle of a, a sermon series where we're walking through as best we can anyway. You're, you notice we're having to take you know, snippets from different parts of the book of Proverbs. We're going through the book of Proverbs at this point thematically and just talking about what it means for us to become people who are full of wisdom. Okay? We've defined wisdom this way as competency with regard to the complex realities of life. So if you want to flourish in life... It's not enough to be good or moral. You also need to be wise. That's what we're learning. And wisdom means being in touch with reality. It means knowing how things work, diagnosing how things are, being able to problem-solve towards solutions and make good decisions, particularly where it is unclear what is right and what is wrong. Life is full of circumstances like this. One example from last week. We talked about parenting and and child rearing, and there's that verse in the book of Proverbs, which many, if you've been around the church for a long time, you know, spare not the rod, right? Jonathan talked a little bit about it. Uh, spare not the rod. And there's, so there's this rule. But the problem is, is we need wisdom inside of the parameters of that rule. We need wisdom to know when and how, whether it's spanking and when is a kid too old, you know, that, that it's not good to spank them anymore, and, and, and when does grounding take effect, and... So when and how and how much and how often, because discipline, disciplining children is difficult to navigate, right? Or am I the only one? I mean, right, so there's a definite rule, the rod, be firm, be consistent, be comprehensive, not dismissive. But the scripture also commands, let's be honest, fathers, uh, to be careful not to exasperate their children. That is to over-discipline them, so to discourage them through constant correction, Right, So you can under-discipline, you can over-discipline, but wisdom is finding the middle ground, finding the temperance 
uh, in between those two polar, you know, errors. So if all you do is take the rule and you obey the rule, you know, here's a rule, I'm going to obey it, I'm going to be as enthusiastic as I can in the performance of this rule, rather than as enthusiastic as I can be about being wise in regards to this, you're going to mess up. Good parents are wise. They wisely apply the rule, spare the rod, save the child with their children. Okay? Just one example. But the book of Proverbs is full of these sorts of examples, and it's all about how to become wise, not just in parenting, but in all of life. And one of the things that Proverbs says about becoming wise is this. You can't do it without friends. Uh, in, in Proverbs, there's a direct connection between wisdom and the community. Wisdom and friendship. The fool, we've read over and over again, is right in his own eyes. Right? Proverbs 18.1, you have it there, you can see it. He isolates himself from the community. And breaks out against all sound judgment. That means he's opposed to common sense. He only listens to his own voice. The fool leans on his own understanding, but the wise person, in contrast, lives in community. He listens to the advice and the correction of other people. He bounces ideas off of people. He seeks counsel. He allows himself to be befriended. And Proverbs says that is the path of wisdom. So if you want to be wise, you can't do it without friends. Now, just a couple applications before we dive into this too much. Redeemer, if, you want, if you're new to our church or if you're new to Christianity, if you're new, if you're new to this place and you're, you're, you've been here maybe a couple times, you're trying to figure out what this, what this place is about, uh, we are a daughter church of a church uh, named Trinity Presbyterian Church in Lakeland, Florida. And uh, I one time asked the pastor of that church, you know, how did, how did this happen, this great church full of people? You know, how did you do this at the early stages of my apprenticeship as a church planner with them? And he, uh, Tim Rice is his name, he, he pointed to another man in the church, Tim O'Strawbridge, who is one of his dear friends, and he says, you know, he, really, this, is, this was our strategy. Tim O and I had a friendship, and we just kept inviting people into our friendship. And in many ways, the, the, the history of this church is, is the same. There were a group of people who have been friends for a really long time, and we just decided that we were going to start a church together. And all we've done for four years now is just invite people to come be friends with us. So really, this church was birthed out of and founded upon friendship. I would say uh, the leaders are friends. Uh, I, am fr- I am dear friends with the other church planters that are part of our network, the men who are the elders and deacons, uh, to one degree or another, uh, I am striving to be, and I think they are to me, we are trying to be friends. Leadership, friendship among the leadership is a, is a value of this church. What is unique about, I hope, the, the leadership of this church is we, is we actually like one another. Right? Amen, thank you. Most of the time. I, some of the guys are going, man, man. But I, but I want to say, if, if, okay, if, if, if the leaders of a church can't figure out how to be friends with one another, I'm scared for the church. Right? But not only that, the goal really is friendship. We believe, we believe that, uh, that the gospel, one of the byproducts of the gospel working in your heart is it's going to make you a good friend and it's going to make you the kind of person who can be befriended. So friendship is a byproduct of uh, the gospel, we believe that. So one of our goals and one of, one of the things we're hoping for, if we get to the end of however many years God gives us to minister alongside of one another and to be a church in the city, we hope that one, one of the things that we would be known for in the city of Winter Haven is those people really do like one another. They're having fun together. 
Uh, you don't know this, and this is I don't I don't um, I don't say this to brag at all, but to just make a point that we uh, part of the network that we're a part of in Lakeland with the four churches, and we all meet together and we're preaching. You know, a lot of we've talked about this. Our other sister churches were preaching the same text. The pastors are very close. We're having people from all over the United States come into Lakeland, Florida, and say, what you guys are doing is unlike anything we've seen anywhere in the United States. How in the world are you guys doing the things you're doing? And what we're getting to, what, what it's really boiling down to as we talk to people that is, that is true of this community of pastors and leaders and churches that is not true of, of most people's experience anywhere else in the whole United States is friendship. And people come into our meetings, and we laugh, and we have a great time, and they just leave saying, I, I. because the church around the country is not producing people who are good friends to one another. And yet Proverbs says, if you don't have friends, you're not going to be wise. Now, of course, a few obstacles we need to be aware of. Mobility is a problem in our culture, and one of the reasons why people have such a hard time making friends, we travel from place to place, and move here and leave here and go here, and, and the moving around makes it very difficult. Secondly, there is an affluence which creates busyness, if we just can be honest. The more fluent you are, the typical, typically the busier you are, and the busier you are, the harder it is for you to make friends. And then there's a component of individualism that's laid on top of all of that uh, that really just makes you know, friendship very, very difficult because friendships require lots of time, lots of leisure time and space, and spontaneity, and creativity. And to commit to the practice of friendship necessarily means you reject certain cultural patterns and values. You know, if we're going to become friends, we're going to have to refuse to move away from one another for a better salary. We're going to have to decide to work less hours to have more time for friendships. Friendship is counter-cultural in American society. It requires you live differently and make sacrifices. It's hard but it's worth it. That's the argument I'm going to try to make this morning, okay, as we come to Proverbs. Four things about friendship from the book of Proverbs, and they are the four, uh, they are the four um, points on the outline on the back side of your scripture passage insert there. Uh, the necessity, the definition, the parts, and the power of friendship. Those four points. Why do we need friends? What a friendship is? what friends do, and then we'll finish with how do you find the power to be a good friend, okay? So those four things, let's start first with the necessity of friendship. Why do we need friends? And there are two reasons, a theological reason not in the text and a practical reason which is in the text. So let me bounce off the text for a minute and give you a theological reason. If you're here and you're not a Christian, uh, Christians believe in what we call the doctrine of the Trinity. And the doctrine of the Trinity teaches us that God is a friendship. That means that friendship is at the heart of the universe. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, before the world was created, before there was anything, from all eternity, God existed in an, as an eternal friendship between the persons of the Trinity. Now what the Bible teaches is we were made in the image of the Trinity. That means we were made for friendship. That's my argument. In the book of Genesis, when God looks at the world that he has made, he says over and over again, it is good. There are all these doxologies, right? It's good. It's good. Oh, that's good. Oh, that, that is very good, with one exception. Adam was alone. He was lonely. 
Made in the image of God, he needed a friend, and he didn't have a friend. So he not just wanted a friend, Adam needed a friend. Now think about that. The only thing wrong with the whole creation was that Adam didn't have a friend. (laughs) That means that at the very core of what it means to be human is that we were made for friendship. And do you know what that means? Longing for communion and relationship with people is not a weakness, it's a strength. So if you're here, and I imagine many of you are, if you're here and you're lonely, if you're sad because you want a friend and for whatever reason you've had a hard time finding a good friend, that doesn't mean you're weak and needy, it means you're like God. And if you don't need people, if you're here and you you have no problem shutting people out, then that means you're not like God. Because to think you can live your life without friends is to deny the very nature of your design. It's like denying gravity. You might as well get on a rocket ship and go to Venus and try to breathe the air. You were made in the image of God, and therefore you were made for friendship. That's the theological reason. But secondly, the practical reason. And so come to this list of Proverbs with me here. And I want you to look at Proverbs 18.24. There we read, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now, that means something like this. There's something about friendship that makes it even superior to a relationship you have with your family members. A friend is better than a brother. That's what Proverbs is saying. This is echoed in 17, 17 at the top there. A friend loves at all times. And or but. It really, really probably is a but there. But a brother is born for adversity. So Proverbs is providing a contrast. Uh, he, the, the, the writer's saying, the teacher's saying, in a family there are certain obligations, Right? If things go bad, you expect your family to be there, and they typically are. But a friend is not just a companion in the hard times. A friend is there in all times, good and bad, rainy and sunshiny days, all the time, unlike many times family relationships. See, both these Proverbs teach that the bond of friendship is many times greater than the bond of family relationships. And what's the best thing in the world is if your family relationships can become friendships. But it doesn't always happen. Because you see, in a family, you feel an obligation to one another, but you don't necessarily like one another. Anybody experience this? A low rumble of laughter. Right? In a a family relationship, you feel an obligation, but you don't necessarily like one another. You're kind of stuck with one another. But a friendship is different. A friend is someone who has chosen you. And as a result, the bond you share is greater than the bond between families. Friend love is absolutely unique and powerful in your life. Friends shape who you become in an even more powerful way than your family shapes who you become. Or I want to say, at, biblically, we're told at least friendships should shape as you become older and as you grow grow up and, and leave your father's house and cleave to uh, the person that you're married to or go out and live your life. Friendships, according to the Bible, should begin at that point to shape who you become in a more powerful and significant way than your family relationship shaped who you were when you were young and still in your parents' house. If you're committed to friendships, it should work that way. The book of Proverbs says that the fool perishes either for lack of friends or for poorly chosen friends. So you can see from all these things, the necess- we need friends. We're designed for friends. Secondly then, what do we mean? What is the definition of friendship then? What is a friend? Or how do you know when you found a friend? Okay, so the second point, moving on. And I say, it, I say it that way on purpose. How do you know when you found a friend? Because that's the way it works. Look at Proverbs 18, 24 again. A man, make, a man of many companions 
may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So Proverbs contrasts companions, plural, did you notice that, with the true friend, singular, and it means something like this. Get ready. If you have a lot of friends, you don't have any real friends. Because friendship's exclusive. And, and, and what Proverbs is doing is it's contrasting companions, plural, the many, with a friend, singular. So what's the difference between the companion and a friend? C.S. Lewis actually talks about this in his essay on friendship in his book, The Four Loves. He says that most people, the problem we, we have is most people mistake companionship for friendship, but they're not the same thing. And he says the popular con- conception of a friendship is something like belonging to a club, having some buddies uh, to hang out with and watch the game or play cards with. But Lewis says that that's not friendship, that's companionship. Friendship is something more. See, a companion is a buddy you can play golf with from time to time or somebody to go shopping with or whatever it is women do together when they get together, right? But a friend is something else. A friend is something different. A friend is something more than that. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He says, friendships arise out of our... Friendship arises out of mere companionship. So companionship leads to friendship. Friendship arises out of mere companionship when two or more of the companions discover they have in common some insight or interest which others do not share. So according to Lewis, what turns a companion into a friend is that at some point, maybe in a conversation, or there comes a time in the relationship when you're with the person and they say something or they do something and your eternal emotional response to them is... You too. I thought I was the only one. Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote a very famous essay on friendship, and this is how he put it. He said, a friend doesn't ask, do you love me? So much as, do you care about the same truth? So a friendship is born when two people find they share a common journey, a common passion, a common truth, a common mission that links their hearts together in a way that goes beyond mere companionship. That's the point I'm trying to make. And so Lewis says again, he says, the very condition of having friends is that we should want something else besides friends. It's a very profound statement. Where the truthful answer to the question, do you see the same truth, would be, I see nothing, I only want a friend, no friendship can arise. There would be nothing for the friendship to be about, and friendship must be about something. Now listen to this statement. He says, those who have nothing can share nothing, Those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. So a friend is more than a companion. Friends share a mission. The friendship needs something to be about, some great truth or passion or love or mission that the friends share that drives the friendship. And according to Proverbs, in order to be wise, you need friends that are more than just companions. You need a few people in your life that are committed to the same things you're committed to. So that in committing to one another, you're committing to make one another great. The image Lewis gives, and it's a really great essay. You ought to go read it. You can find it online. Uh, C.S. Lewis, one more time, he says, Lovers all are, always talking about, uh, are always talking with one another about their love. Lovers are always talking together about their love. Friends hardly ever talk about their friendship. Think about this image. Lovers are normally face-to-face, absorbed in each other. Friends, side-by-side, absorbed in some common interest. And this can be true of marriage. Marriage should be a friendship. There should be a common mission in marriage, right? Uh, Or if you really love what you do, and you believe in whatever it is you're doing, the job you go to on a daily basis, you probably will experience this kind of friendship with the people you work with because you're sharing a mission with them, see? 
But friends share, friendship arises out of a shared mission. Now I'm getting made fun of for how many times I refer to the Lord of the Rings, and I'm just going to say, stop making fun of me and go read the book. Okay? Don't watch the movies. Read the book. Because the book, unlike the movie, Hollywood got to the book and ruined it because they made romantic love a centerpiece of the movie, when in the book, the book Lord of the Rings is not about romantic love, it's about friends. In the book, the romantic stuff, all the ooey-gooey, girly stuff is in the appendices. The book is a book about friends, and in the Lord of the Rings you have a story where all these different races, dwarves and elves who hate one another, and different kingdoms of men who are rivals come together They go on a journey together, they share a mission, they sweat and bleed together, and something happens. They become friends. The necessity of the mission turns natural enemies to friends. That's the story of the book. Now, again, I know I go there too often, so let me give you one other, just by way of seeing what a friend is and how this works. The story, maybe a contemporary, you know, model of what the Lord of the Rings is trying to tell us, the Harry Potter books are really a a story about friendship. And even the movies get this right. At the very end of the movie, the climactic, triumphant scene is not when Voldemort is destroyed, but then in the aftermath of his being destroyed, you have Hermione and um, Ron and Harry sitting together, the, the three friends who've been together from the beginning who triumphed over evil, in the, you know, by being friends to one another. There's a particular scene in the last movie where Harry learns that the only way to defeat his enemy, Voldemort, is that he has to sacrifice his life. He has to be killed. And in his death, uh, evil will be overcome. Sound familiar? It's really a gospel story. It's amazing. And there's a particular scene, and I'm a girl. I admit it. I'm all messed up emotionally. I bottle things up, and then all of a sudden, at unknown times, thing, I just start, you know, It's terrible. But I was, in, I was in my house not long ago, and I don't know if it was a particularly emotional moment for me or what, but the movie came, I was watching the movie, it was on, you know, Disney uh, Family or whatever, and Harry has just learned uh, that he has to, that he literally is going out to meet his enemy and he's going to be killed. Uh, and so he's going to his death, and he realizes this is what he must do. No greater love hath any man than he lay down his life for his friends, and this is what his love for his friends uh, requires of him. He's walking down the stairs out the front door of Hogwarts, and there's... Ron and Hermione, and he comes upon them. And as he's walking past them, they say, where are you going? And he, he says, you know, I've known for a long time. And he looks at Hermione, and he says, I think you've known too. And, and this look comes upon her face, and she runs to him, and she puts her arms around him, and she says, I'll go with you. See? And I thought, no, don't listen. I'm going to claim I'm just more in touch with the Spirit than you are at this moment. Because I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, in that moment watching that movie, some, some, I thought, I need that. I mean, that, I need, I, that, I'll go with you. See, that's, that's a friend. A friend comes to you in the time of your greatest need, when you're walking out the door into what will be a death, and they put their arms around you and say, I'll go with you. And see, Here's what I want you to see. The church has a mission, right? I mean, we have a mission. We have the greatest mission. We have the mission that every mission and every story we tell is based upon. And and if the church's mission becomes the mission of your life, then that means you'll be friends with people you would not otherwise choose to be friends with. 
In other words, the mission of the church should bring us together as friends. Think about the Lord of the Rings. You know, dwarves and elves, natural enemies, the men of Gondor and the men of Rohan, natural rivals, not just fighting side by side, but, but becoming friends, affectionate, passionate friends for one another. And so this is one of the ways you know you've experienced God's grace. Here's how you know. You know you've had an experience of God's grace. You are friends with people you wouldn't otherwise be friends with. They're different from you. Different in personality and lifestyle and culture and skin, color and socioeconomic status. But the mission brings you together. And I want to say, I want to be your friend and say, if you don't have a list of people like that, I want you to ask, is the gospel a living reality in my life? So there, the necessity and the definition of friend. We need friends. Friends say to you, I'll go with you. Friends are the, are the people you share a mission with. But then thirdly, we've got to keep moving the parts of a friendship. What do friends do, right? What do friends do? And there are three things that Proverbs say friends offer one another. I didn't come up with them. Derek Kidner, in his commentary on the book of Proverbs, lists them, and I stole them from him. Just putting that out there. There are three parts of a true friendship. I have four on there. I, I reduced it down to three. Three things. Three parts of a true friendship or three things you have to do in order to forge a friendship. Let's look at each of them in turn. Part one. First, constancy. Look at 1717 again. Uh, a, friend, a friend loves at all time. A brother is born for adversity. 1824. Many, many companions. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks Closer than a brother. And that word sticks is a covenantal word. It means to cleave or to commit to. The best way I know to explain this is, you know you have, and some of you will, you will totally track with me. You know you have a real friend when you can't get rid of them. Right? When no matter the volume of your stupidity or your selfishness, they somehow stick with you. See, friends never give up on one another. No matter what the cost, they stick. They love one another stubbornly. They, they love with no exit strategy. And they never quit, even if they have every right to walk away. They're trapped by their love for one another. So friend love is covenantal. And the two illustrations I thought of from the scriptures are first, David and Jonathan. If you know the story of King David and Jonathan, the son of King Saul, who should have hated David because David was going to uh, take his place as successor to Saul. And yet, uh, they became deep friends, and there's a particularly poignant, poignant moment in the story where the two of them make a covenant with one another, binding themselves to one another as friends and say to one another, no matter what happens, I'm yours and you're mine. We're not walking away from one another. And they didn't. And it cost Jonathan his life. But they didn't. And then the second is the friendship between Ruth and Naomi in the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. Ruth was a Moabitess. Naomi was an Israelite. Uh, who left because of a famine and went to live with the Moabites, and her sons married these daughters, and her whole life fall, fell apart. Her husband was killed, Ruth's husband and her other son were killed, and it was just these two women left uh, facing a world that was very hostile to women at that point. And Naomi turns to Ruth and says, please, go, go back to your father's house, because maybe there you can find a husband and it'll go well with you. And Ruth's response to Naomi is, absolutely not. I'm going with you. And in order to go with Naomi, Ruth had to give up all of her hope of remarriage and really a good life. She doesn't go back to her father's house. 
She dies to her own comfort in order to love her mother-in-law. Think about that. To love her mother-in-law, Naomi. And the famous lines, I'm not leaving you. I'm committed to you. Listen to this. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Where you die, I will die. I'll go with you. Uh, we had some friends uh, who we were talking, we were dreaming together uh, not long ago just about all the possibilities of what might happen and, and you know, making fun of all the th- places we would never move but places we would uh, move. And, and in the middle of the conversation, they just, they broke out uh, and we were t- saying, you know, we're so afraid you guys are going to figure out that there are other places that are more beautiful than Winter Haven. Uh, one day, and you're going to move there, and they looked at us, and they said, and this is, this is literally, have you ever had somebody say something like this to you? It was a moment that I'll remember for the rest of my life. They say, we feel called to you. We're committed to you. Wherever you are, that's where we're going to be. Man, that felt good. That's a friend, constancy. But secondly, not only constancy, but, but candor. Okay, I'm sticking with the C's. Because preachers do that, but of course this means openness or honesty or frankness. Friends speak the truth to one another no matter how hard. So for example, 27, 5, and 6, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. So both those verses are worth an explanation. And here's the thing that was the most surprising to me as I studied uh, for this, this week. In Proverbs, the opposite of a friend is... A flatterer. A flatterer. Okay? That just really shocked me. A friend is a person who will speak hard truths into your life because they love you and want to help you. In contrast, flatterers are not friends. They want you to like them more than they want to do good to you. So open rebuke here is contrasted with hidden love. That's Proverbs' way of saying that, that sometimes love requires a rebuke. Love is confrontation, not just affirmation. It's both. It's always both. And so to refuse to confront is a failure of love. Flattery without, you know, flattery is affirmation without confrontation. And what Proverbs would say is be careful of flatterers. Go all the way down to the bottom. 29.5, a man who flatters his neighbor spreads a, tent, uh, spreads a net for his feet. They're preparing a trap for you. Now think about this for just one minute. Wisdom is being in touch with reality. Here's what we learned. Sin is deceitful. We've, we've talked about this over and over again. Sin blinds you to reality. That, that's a major problem. We are all sinners, you know, all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God, right? That's what we're memorizing. We're all sinners and sin blinds you to reality. It's deceitful. That's a major problem. So all the trouble we get ourselves into is because sin has blinded us to the truth. So how do you then see past your blind spots to the truth? How do you avoid being deceived by sin, making all kinds of terrible decisions that cause wreckage in your life? The answer in Proverbs is the candor of friendship. So instead of telling, if, if instead of telling a friend what's wrong with him or her, so they can have an accurate view of their strengths and weaknesses, you keep the truth to yourself because you're afraid of the consequences, then you're setting them up for a disastrous life. You're not being a friend. Why? Because you're leaving them to go through life making decisions without being in touch with reality. Friends, 27.6, friends wound one another. (laughs) Faithful are the wounds of a friend. 
Friends speak truth that hurts. So some diagnostics for you. If your friends only affirm you and never rebuke you, only kiss you, never wound you, can I offer a suggestion you need to get new friends? But you, if you're too afraid to speak the truth, then you're not a friend. Or if, you're, if your wounds are not faithful, that is if they're meant to hurt and maim and make you feel better about yourself, if they're not gentle and full of compassion, then you're not being a true friend then either. True friends wound, but their wounds are faithful. They're an act of love, see, okay? So third point, point part. So there's constancy and there's candor. But then thirdly, and this goes with what we just said, third, and we can't miss this, third is carefulness. Now look at the balance. True friends offer one another honesty, even rebuke, but also emotional connectedness and empathy. So friends are careful with one another. They're tender and considerate, even in their honesty. So a couple of these Proverbs, 26, 18, and 19. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and then says, you know, I was only joking. Right. This is a person who doesn't just come out and tell you the truth. They use sarcasm or whatever the case may be to deceive instead of just coming out and saying what's on their mind. And Bruce Walkie says the problem is it's unkind. It's a sign of emotional disconnectedness. Okay, 2520. Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. And you, you, you understand what this means. How do you befriend a person with a heavy heart? Right, a person who's discouraged or depressed or whatever the case may be. The Bible says, weep with those who weep. So you wouldn't go to visit your friend who's just lost her husband tragically, uh, go visit her in the hospital and break into a Broadway number, right, in the waiting room. It's ridiculous. That's emotional disconnection. A friend who can be happy when you're sad is not a friend. Friends rejoice with one another. But they cry together. They're careful with one another. They know, how one, they, know, they know one another intimately. They're not emotionally disconnected from one another. And they offer one another not just brutal honesty, but also emotional tenderness. And so this means that a friend is not aloof. A friend's not standoffish. She lets you in. She doesn't try to hide her emotions from you. She offers you intimacy. She shares her struggles and fears. And she invites your criticism. There's nothing that's off limit. There's no distance. There's no posturing, and that is the absolute irony of Facebook. The irony of allowing Facebook to define friends is that it has nothing to do with friendship whatsoever because you control the flow of information. The whole thing is posturing. You present the image of yourself you want others to believe is true, but that's not friendship. Right? Friendship is constant, careful candor. Constant, careful candor. And therefore, to conclude, I need to come to the end. Therefore, the feel of friendship is, on the one hand, sweetness, Proverbs 27, 9. It's comforting, it's safe, it's affirming, but on the other hand, there's clashing, iron sharpening iron, one man sharpening another, 27, 17. Do you see that? 27, 17. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. So the pieces of iron clash together, and that's how they get sharp. It's the clashing, the the challenging of one another, the arguments between friends that make the friendship work. If the friendship was always just sweet and reassuring and affirming, or if the friendship is always confrontational and clashing, then either of those, it's unhealthy. But when there's both, right? It's constantly back and forth between both, whatever suits the situation, then, then you have a true friend. 
And that leads us to the last thing, and that is the power for friendship. Then how do you find the strength to be a good friend and to allow yourself to be befriended? Because you see, you have to be both incredibly bold and courageous, and at the same time, bold and courageous, fearless and stubborn, but also tender and gentle and kind. And that kind of person is absolutely unique. Because every one of us in this room, temperamentally and sinfully, are either one or the other. So there has to be a power that comes from the outside that can turn us into the kinds of friends that we need to be to one another. And that power is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, the night before Jesus died, in the the gospel of John, which we read for our assurance of pardon, Jesus is talking to his disciples about his death. And this is what he says. He says, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Love one another as I have loved you. Do you know what that means? Do you remember what I said earlier, that God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is an eternal friendship? Jesus' words there mean that in him we get invited into the friendship of the Trinity. In Jesus, God becomes our friend. I mean, that's the gospel. See, what we learn, Jesus is the friend we need. Because see, Jesus doesn't just come to us and say, I'll go with you. Think about this. He stands side by side with us looking down the path we had to walk and he said, I'll go for you. Not I'll go with you. I'll go for you. I'll go in your place. And he did. Jesus is the friend who loves at all times, who sticks closer than a brother. He's the friend who will be honest with you and you'll be able to receive it because he doesn't just inflict wounds. He is the friend who takes wounds. He was wounded for our transgressions, we're told in Isaiah Isaiah 53. On the cross, he was wounded for us. And that means for the first time in a trillion years and that just the beginning, he was on the outside of the friendship of the Trinity. Jesus lost his friendship with God so that he could turn to us and say, I call you friends. And if what you want is a friend, let me just warn you, you'll put so much pressure on the relationship that it'll never work. C.S. Lewis says, said in that same, in that same um, essay that I, I quoted earlier, people who just want friends can never make any because friendship can't be an end. It has to be a means to an end. And so there's an irony. There's a real irony, and that is when you don't need friends, that's the point when you're able to become a great friend. And it's when you're not looking for friends that you find them. So here's what Proverbs and all of the Bible would tell us to do. Take your desire for friendship. Take your need and your desire, your loneliness. Take your disappointment with the people in your life and turn to Jesus in faith and let him befriend you. Because it is his love and commitment to you that can give you the strength to be there unconditionally for someone, no matter what the cost, with no exit strategy. His constancy is the basis for yours. His intimacy and emotional emotional connectedness is the basis for yours. So the the book of Proverbs would warn, don't be full of self-pity. Don't feel sorry for yourself. That's acting like you don't have a friend. You have a friend. Don't come into a group of people and feel like an outsider. If your faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're never an outsider. You're already an insider. Do Do you see what I'm saying? I call you friends. You have a friend. What that means is is Jesus' love for you, his friendship to you, can make you a great friend. And when you become a great friend, 
offering consistency, candor, and carefulness to people, then you'll have great friends in return. See, don't, don't, don't feel sorry for yourself. Don't pout and whine because people have let you down. That's not the Christian response. The Christian response is, what a friend I have in Jesus. Now, who can I love? And when that movement of faith happens in your life, when you move out, despite irrelevant to the case of how you've been befriended, when you move out to love people, and you make it your goal to become a great friend, you're going to have to turn people away from friendships. But the best part is, you'll become wise. And that's the point, isn't it? And so let's pray. Can we do that? Father, we do pray. As we've been doing this whole time, uh, we've been looking at the book of Proverbs that you would help to make us wise because we know how desperately we need wisdom. We are a young church and we're a church full of young people. And the problem with being young is that we've, we've just not lived long enough to be wise. And so we desperately need for you to make us wise. And we realize that you are teaching us even this morning uh, that one of the, one of the indisputable ways of your answering our prayer for wisdom is to give us friends who can help us to be wise. And so we pray. Uh, we pray that you, would, uh, that you would help us, that you would come into our life and renovate us, that you would change us and transform us by the power of your gospel, that we might uh, be free from sin and selfishness, self-pity and, and um, discouragement to become great friends to one another. And Lord Jesus, we know that the source of the friendships that we experience in the church is your friendship with us. And so we exult and we rejoice in you, that you are the one who came to us. And, and you didn't just wrap your arms around us and say, I'll go with you. You came and you, you looked at us and you said, I'll go for you. You are the friend that our hearts, hearts ultimately uh, desire. That's what we sang in that song a little while ago. You are the one that we are made for. You are the one that we need. Your friendship is the one that brings life. And so would you come and whisper your love into our ears that we would be so uh, convinced of your, uh, your love of us, your loving of us with no exit strategy, that it would turn us into people who can turn to the people in our life and offer friendship to them. We pray these things so that we can become wise. And in becoming wise, my bear fruit that would glorify you. And we pray them in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. One more reminder, please do come. I know, I know Polk Countyans, um, Winter Haven people just loathe the idea of driving to Lakeland for anything. But I promise you, not as badly as Lakeland people loathe the idea of driving. Any, they do not, the universe does not exist outside of the city of Lakeland for Lakeland people. Okay? So, so come with us tonight. Uh, the Henderson clan, I think, will have tickets. You can find them. They may, they'll be at the doors, I think, as you leave. Uh, the cost is $20 for an adult. There's gonna, I know there's 120 pounds of barbecue pork, I think, that's going to be there. Good food. We're going to have a good time. Uh, Polk County style. You know, only in Polk County do you do a fundraiser for missions by having an archery tournament, right? Uh, but we're going to have a good time. Come to that tonight, okay? Now, whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, receive this benediction uh, as the promise of the friendship of God. I mean, can you wrap your mind around the God of the universe in the person of Jesus Christ is extending the invitation of a friendship? And by faith we lay hold of that, and this is the promise of the benediction, that because of the work of Jesus, now the Father turns his face towards you uh, in friendship to bless you and to go with you and to take care of you. And that means... That once you receive this promise, you are free uh, and, and you have the power you need to go 
in your community groups, in your places of work, in all the places you go, to be great friends uh, to one another and to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth through the process of making friends. That's, what, that's our mission. That's what we're doing. So receive the benediction. Then may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord, Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace, both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in his peace.